Well, good morning, everybody. Val, thanks for that reading. The page always sticks at the wrong point, doesn't it? You, you watch, it's going to happen to me in a minute. I've got lots of them here. There's bound to be something like that. But uh, yesterday, this place was totally different. It was the place of a wedding. And you've already had that. And Joe and Vince, I wasn't expecting you to be here this morning. But here you are. And married under that arch, which was up here yesterday, in, in a lovely, lovely time. Uh, and Nigerian costume, is that the right word, was used later on. And um, there was a lot of colourful costumes with different people from African backgrounds came out. I love that little shuffle dance you do. You know, <laughs> and I almost got up and joined you, but um, um, embarrassment stopped me. But today, this place has been transformed into a place where there is another bride and groom present, yeah? The bride is the church. The groom is Jesus, or God. So isn't that lovely how your wedding reflects today's service and uh, every service on a Sunday? Right, so that is brilliant. Well, this is, as we've been told, um, the last in our Trusting in God ministry series. We've had Trusting in God, as David told us through... Wait a minute. I'm going to move this around because it's a recipe for falling over that bit there. Right, so um, we've had Trusting in God when uh, life brings busyness, doubt and fear. All very, very relevant. And if we do take bits and pieces of notes, you can join them all the dots up together when we finish today and you'll have quite a good uh, insight into how we deal with some of life's problems. And they affect us all. So uh, trusting in God uh, today is when life brings tiredness. And uh, 1 Kings 19 verses 1 to 21 is our passage. Uh, but the focus point is a still, small voice. I love this chapter. It is fantastic, isn't it? But I have to tell you this, there are no jokes to start off with this morning. Those looking in uh, will know that if I ever speak uh, every now and again, we always start with a joke. No jokes this morning. Um, because um, what we've got to talk about isn't funny. Uh, this morning's passage in 1 Kings 19, uh, verses 1 to, t to 21, takes on a very serious tone. And we need to understand that, to understand what comes next. Um, it could be called a tale of two cities, Samaria and Jezreel, and it focuses on three lives. King Ahab, his consort, so-called wife and partner Jezebel, and the prophet Elijah. Chapter 19, though, is the accumulation of chapters 16 and 18. Uh, and we need to think a bit about that to understand chapter 19. Um, and we find in chapter 16 that King Ahab did more evil than all the kings of Israel before him. So that's the first warning uh, gong sounded. Um, and he took to wife uh, or concert or a shammed marriage, really, Jezebel. She was from outside the tribe of Israel and she worshipped the idol Baal. And this is where things take a, a, a serious tone. 
We can easily read over this and carry on with the rest of the story, which is quite exciting, without realising how devastating this fact of Baal and Jezebel, uh, uh, of Baal worship was. You see, the worshippers of Baal were satanic. There's no way of getting around that. That's what they were. They worshipped Satan. The idol of Baal, if you see pictures of it, has two ram's horns out protruding from his head and is often holding a child. Baal had an idol consort called Ashtaroth, female version of Baal, just as evil. King Ahab's forced marriage to Jezebel was a reflection of the relationship between these two idols. You can see how things get really mixed up when they go wrong. They really can go very wrong. Um, Ahab, King Ahab, built a temple to Baal in Samaria, first of our cities. Samaria was the capital of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria. Uh, and together with Jezebel, they set up covens or, uh, all over their kingdom where the people could go and worship Baal and Ashtaroth and indulge in the hideously evil rites of this satanic cult. And we're not dealing with uh, funny things here. We're dealing with really serious things that affected people's lives in a very deep way. Some of these, I have to tell you, some of these satanic, satanic cult meetings included human sacrifice. And, you know, we quite often say, well, wasn't, isn't God been a bit hard dealing with people back in these times? And we don't realise the context. What was going on uh, in, the, in, in these times was horrific. Uh, and uh, if any of you know anything about the Aztecs and the Incas, then you'll know where we're coming from, because these sacrifices were of all ages. No, no, I can't find anything to be funny or joke about that. So if we go back uh, uh, into chapter 17, God could not tolerate this, obviously. Would we, could we tolerate it today? No, of course we couldn't. Uh, and he sent Elijah to King Ahab and to tell him that because of what was going on, there would be no more rain. Quite a, quite a, 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 fan, a, a traumatic thing out in uh, Israel. No more rain. Ahab immediately threatened to kill Elijah, and Elijah had to run and hide. But God provided the hiding place, and God provided the food. We've got a good God. <laughs> you may recognise these miracles. Uh, he was fed by ravens by a brook, and uh, he stayed in hiding with a widow who gave him um, the last of her flour and the last of her oil. She was expecting then to die. But miraculously, the containers of the oil and the flour didn't run out. They just kept on reproducing. So what a wonderful miracle that was. Also, later on, her son died, and Elijah raised her son to life again. All of these miracles you will have read of, I'm sure, uh, Sunday school or uh, other church uh, uh, ministries. Um, and uh, Elijah raids her son to life again. That all happened in chapter 17. Chapter 18, don't worry, we're going to have a song in a minute. <laughs> Chap 
chapter 18, while Elijah's in hiding, uh, Jezebel is busy killing off all of the prophets and priests of God. Elijah's out the way, so Jezebel gets busy. And that is what she does. It was an attempt to wipe out all worship of God and leave only the prophets of Baal left alive, her prophets of Baal, uh, to establish him as the supreme deity in Israel. Things were looking black and they were all going her way. uh, uh, Elijah's out the way. Again, God could not tolerate this. Of course not. Uh, if, uh, If the prophets of Baal took over and idol worship and all that horrible other stuff was going on, the name of God would have been eradicated. And Israel was there to to provide uh, a a nation that worshipped God. So God couldn't allow that. Uh, And uh, again, um, God called Elijah out of hiding. And he said, go and invite King Ahab, the person he was hiding from. Don't you hate that? When you try not to do things for God, he actually says, go and do what you're not wanting to do. That's what I'm asking of you. Hmm. Again, uh, God could not tolerate this. So Ahab sent to King Ahab. And there's 450 prophets of Baal that Jezebel has got uh, under her wing. Uh, and you're to take him to Mount Carmel. That's up near Galilee. Uh, And you can take him to there and you're going to challenge him to a final showdown with Baal and with God. Uh, And uh, this, this, uh, this signals high drama stuff. We've been up. We went to visit Israel once and we went up Mount Carmel and to just think you're standing in the place where all this happened is quite awe-inspiring. So the 450 prophets go up to the final showdown. Um, Now, it's winner takes all. You know, loser gets nothing. Winner takes all. Uh, High drama stuff. It reminds me of the gunfight at OK Corral. I just love that. I just love that when they're walking down the street with the, uh, uh, I, I watch, I've got it on tape, I have to tell you, I, and I watch it quite a few times. Uh, and then there's the showdown uh, in, in, in the OK Corral. Uh, and here we have King Ahab, he's got 450 of these prophets of Baal versus Elijah, plus one other. Who do you think the other is? Don't all shout at one. Of course it's God. It's God that sent him there and it's God that's going to go with him and see the whole thing through. Now this is where the principle is established that with you and God the outcome is already guaranteed. It's nice to know, isn't it? Whatever you've got going on in your life, get God in there with you. He's just waiting to be asked. But with you and God in your life, the outcome's already guaranteed victory is a foregone conclusion um, and there on mount carmel god through Eli- uh, through elijah destroys all 450 prophets of baal wiping out in one stroke all the evil and satanic stuff that's going on in the kingdom they're gone and you can read all about that in 1 kings chapter 18 so now it's king ahab who has to run away from Elijah. The tables have been turned. You know, you know, God's given us authority over the enemy. And I know we, we all of us sin all the time. But God's given us the authority to turn the tables. 
And uh, we can do that. But we need to have a close walk with God uh, in order to see that all through. So King Ahab is now running away from Elijah. He jumps on his chariot and he shoots down uh, Mount Carmel just as fast as his horses would take him. He's not heading for Samaria. He's heading for the town of Jezreel, town of two cities, town of two cities. Because in Jezreel, he's got a royal palace. And in that royal palace, Jezebel is staying and she's waiting to hear the news. She knows where her 450 prophets have gone. She knows who, what the action is going to be. And she's expecting to hear that Elijah's history and that she has now got control of, uh, of, the, of the religious uh, state of the kingdom. So down Elijah goes as fast, uh, sorry, down King Ahab goes as fast as he can in his chariot on his way to Jezreel. He can't wait to tell her of what's happened to him. Because in actual fact, Jezebel's the real hard case in this story, <laughs> not King Ahab. Uh, and uh, this is where 1 King chapter 19 starts. So you had the background. Uh, and maybe you've fitted some things in uh, that you've read just as stories, but not joined up all the dots. So this is where we start in 1 Kings 19. King Ahab tells Jezebel everything that's happened up on the mountain. Have you ever been sneaked on? <laughs> have you? Oh, you must have been. Ever been grassed up anywhere? Has that been an experience you've been through? Ever been dropped in it right up to your neck? Yes, oh yes. I've got two sisters. Uh, one's older and one's younger. And we were doing it to each other all the time. <laughs> I can tell you. And some of the things you remember about your childhood is not so much the happy times, but when you got told on. You know, and uh, why can't you keep your big mouth shut? <laughs> and all the rest of it. Uh, but it happens. This is where Elijah is. He's, he's just been dropped in it right up to his neck. And Ahab does a real good job on, on, on Elijah. Uh, he gets to, to, to this bit where he says, and, and you know what, Jezebel, my love? The, the, Elijah had told the people to kill all of your 450 prophets of Baal. And you know what? They've only gone and done it. There aren't any left. Yes, all Jezebel, my sweetheart, or whatever he called her, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm assuming marriage takes on to say the same sort of dimensions. Whatever, my darling. Yes, all of your 450 prophets of Baal are dead. Jezebel. Well, you can imagine the effect, can't you? Jezebel's expecting that Elijah's gone. That's God out of the way. He's got a free reign. Now she finds all of the prophets of Baal have finished the, the worship of Baal is now doomed, uh, and uh, Elijah is still around. Uh, and she just exploded with rage. The problem is that um, on the, a little bit earlier, uh, uh, you know, the rain bit, that God had shut the heavens up and it wasn't raining. So Elijah couldn't come shooting down after Ahab and say, what a minute, what a minute, what a minute. He had to wait up there until he'd spoken to God again and God walked about the, uh, the restoration of the rain. When that happens, Elijah is now on foot 
But somehow, this is how miraculous God is, he beats Ahab down to Jezreel, the city of Jezreel. He gets there first. It doesn't do him much good, of course, because Elijah comes, uh, Ahab comes roaring in on his chariot and Jezebel gets told the full story. And she says this, as we've read in verse 2, See, you just see, if I don't make Elijah's life as one of those prophets of Baal, uh, by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm now going to make sure I kill this man, Elijah. And can I tell you, it was no empty threat. Can we have... Um, no, we'll have the map up in a minute. Um, it was no empty threat because Jezebel was the power behind the throne. And now Elijah has to run away from Jezebel. So we can have the map up, can't we, David? There's the map. Look, right up the top there. Is that Mount Carmel? Don't all speak at once. I'll show. Is that Mount Carmel? Right? Can you see it? Right up the top there. Can you see Jezreel? Yeah, well now uh, Elijah's got to run from Jezebel and he runs all the way down, look, all the way down uh, past uh, the, sea of, uh, the Dead Sea down to Beersheba. Uh, and boy, isn't that a long way to run? I don't know exactly how far it is, but my calculations are something like a hundred miles or so. Um, I don't think he ran it all in one jog, but, but, but that's where he went, hundred miles or so. He leaves his servant in Beersheba, and there he goes a day's journey on into the desert. He sits down uh, under a tree. And now he is very tired. In fact, at this moment in time, uh, Elijah earns the prize for our, uh, our heading, trusting in God when life brings tiredness. And i just tired thinking about it. But we're going to break here. And we're going to, that's why, this is why these folks have just got up and come out here. You might, uh, you might now understand. And we're going to sing this, this song. Um, I lift my hands to the coming king, to the great I am, to you I sing. Now this is going back to Elijah's strong point up on Mount Carmel when he's trusting God for all that's going to be going on and that's going to happen with the problem in front of him of these 450 prophets of Baal. He says, I lift my hands. And then we bring in this refrain, and I will serve no foreign God. Fits, doesn't it? Doesn't it fit this point of Elijah? But it also fits our lives with the problems we might be facing. Uh, and the temptation may be to, to not trust God quite so much. Uh, and we can sing this song uh, just to establish that we're going to serve no foreign gods or any other treasure. Thank you. Please stand if you're able. For you're the one who reigns 
I will serve no foreign god nor any other treasure you are my heart's desire spirit without to take little Freddie home. Annie and Matt, first time here uh, this morning. Lovely to see them. They come to the um, Leonard Cheshire uh, uh, um, times on Friday out there, and it's, it's great to see them in. Really lovely. Um, so bless them. Right, so, um, so right, we've had the map up. What a song! I will serve no foreign gods. Prophets of Baal, you're on the way out. God is on the way up. Can we say the same about our life? Is, 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 are we getting rid of the enemy because he trips us up Dave is so right what he said this morning you know we're right here with Elijah aren't we we're not so clever are we the, the problems of life get us down don't they um, but what a song to sing I tell you what next time the devil comes and taps you on the shoulder to get you to uh, be, be fed up uh, do the wrong thing or whatever sing that song just sing that song to him he has won my heart's desire, spirit without measure. Wow. So, but Elijah is now in, in the doldrums. He's run away, he's under the tree, and he says to God, I've had enough. All right, ever echoed that? Don't, don't, we're not super spiritual here, don't worry. We, do, we know what that feels like. I've had enough. We talked about tiredness, come here. We've talked about tiredness and all sorts of things, so we know what that feels like. Um, let's try that. 
Is that right? Just have another cup of tea and dip your biscuit in your coffee for a minute. I'm just, uh, those that are listening in, I'm just, not you, not you, Rich. I know you've had yours this morning. Um, I've had enough, Lord, he says, take my life. I'd rather be at home with you in heaven than stay down here on earth. That's what he's saying. Um, uh, and then he fell asleep. Well, I don't blame him after that, Jeremy. It's quite some place to go. Um, previously, he'd seen rain stopped for three and a half years, and that rain stopped. And as a result, uh, all of a result of God-directed prayer. Don't underestimate prayer. It's powerful against the enemy. The rain stopped for three years. I, I actually want a bit so, <laughs> in my garden at the moment. Do I? Am uh, I you know, Lord, I leave it in your hands. Um, and he'd seen the 450 prophets of Baal killed, Baal worship destroyed up there in the north in Mount Carmel. And now he was praying to die. Would you believe it? Some commentaries say that Elijah failed at his strongest point. Let's, let, let's hear that. Elijah failed at his strongest point. The Bible says, he who thinks he stands, beware, lest you fall. And sometimes we can be on a high with the Lord. Everything's going great, and we really think we're there, and then the enemy gets in, and the next day we're flat on our face. He who thinks he stands, beware, lest he, sit, lest he fall. And we see here that if the problems are big enough... They will severely test our faith. Make no mistake about it. Be prepared for it. We aren't ignorant of the devil's devices. So uh, when you're really going for it, that's when Satan's going to come in and try and bring you down. So, um, so guard your heart. I love that. I, I love that phrase. Guard your heart. It means keep close to God, basically. Um, so Elijah here in verse 5 has reached this point in his life where his faith has been severely tested in extreme stress you know we quickly forget the answered prayers we've had don't you yeah you know, I, I, I often say to myself what are you thinking of God's blessed you and answered that prayer that prayer that prayer and that prayer and here you are saying oh God doesn't care about me do you know in extreme stress we quickly forget the prayers we've been answered. Just take a little minute to think. How many prayers have God answered for you just in the past six months? You know, we're very quick to come to God with, with, with requests. How many of those prayers has he answered? Some of them he will have answered straight away. And some of them you're still waiting for the answer. Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. And you know, when the answer comes, Gloria and I have found, if it's one we've waited for, that God's been in it behind the scenes all the way. And suddenly, the great reveal comes, and the situation is dealt with. We've maybe thought he wasn't there, but he's been in it all the time. Now, for many of us, it would be good to step back if we're in this uh, situation. If, invite, if events of your life have taken a toll on you, step back. Step back. God doesn't expect you to be 100% praying, reading your Bible and doing everything else that good Christians are supposed to do. If these things are prevalent in your life, step back. That's okay. Take some time out. If you're tired, physically and mentally, 
do you know what, mentally uh, can be as, as wearing as being physically tired, then, uh, then, then stand down for a while. The Lord understands. And he says to you, come aside, come aside and rest a while. Listen, listen to what he's saying to your heart this morning. Not keep on running as fast as you can and doing everything out of a sense of responsibility. Maybe you've got to step down for a while. Let God restore you. Quality time. I will heal you inwardly. That's where most of the problems are. I mean, we've got external problems, but some of the bigger problems are what we experience inwardly. Let God, let God deal with that. We'll be looking at that later on. Please, if that's where you are, tell Jesus about it right now. You don't have to wait to go home or the closing prayer or whatever else. Tell God about it now in your heart. Get on the, the right road to putting it right. He's only a prayer away. It's only a prayer away. Uh, but God, uh, but does God, God let Elijah step down for a while? Does he let him sleep? Does he stand him down? Not a bit of it, I'm afraid. Poor old Elijah. God hadn't finished with him yet, even though he had virtually finished with God. God hadn't finished with him. God doesn't give Elijah that luxury of coming aside. We've got it. We need to use it. But Elijah didn't. Elijah didn't have it. Sorry, Elijah. God didn't give it to him. In fact, he didn't even get a day off. Never mind stepping aside for a little while. He didn't get a day off. Because before verse 5 was finished, he was woken up by an angel. There was food. There was drink, which he was grateful for. Because he was tired. He was worn out. He was at the end of his tether. So he ate that and went back to sleep again. That's all right. That's all right. If you're going through these bad things and you're lying in bed thinking, oh, I don't want to get up today. You know, oh, I don't want to do my Bible reading this morning. Oh, that is so terrible of you. No, it is. You should be doing it. But the point is, you feel like this and God just says, oh, go back to sleep. <laughs> Thank you for an understanding God. Go back to sleep. I'll do that. Um, so he goes back to sleep. And then in verse 7, the angel wakes him up again. But this time... It's not with a go back to sleep. It's with you've got to get up, eat the food, and then you've got to go 40 days and 40 nights, not a stroll in the park, uh, 200 miles or more, down to the Sinai Peninsula. Have we got that map again? Thanks, David. I didn't even know if he could get this map up. He says, don't worry, it's all, it's all sorted. So he's, so he's down here in Beersheba. So he's gone to this little um, a day's journey, or whatever it was, and he's got under this tree where he's had this sleep and this dream, and where God is now saying, get up, and you're going to come right the way down here somewhere. I mustn't move away from, from, from the camera. And, and, and that is going to be 40 days... And 40 nights. Yes, that's what he had to do. Go right the way down uh, to the Sinai Peninsula. Mount Horeb is where he's headed. Mount Sinai is another name for Mount Horeb. And I won't ask you what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai because it was about 800 years earlier uh, and um, he got the Ten Commandments up there, didn't he? So God had passed by on this mountain on more than one occasion. Uh, so Elijah went into the cave, 
in Mount Horeb after his 40 days and 40 nights journey um, to spend the night thinking, oh, I've got to get out of the sun, or whatever he was thinking, you know, into a cave, cool, lovely, a uh, bit of a time for a rest. Um, and I think God must have a sense of humour. Do you think that? I think God's got a sense of humour because he goes into the cave and God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I see the funny side of that. You know, the, the guy's done all the business with Ahab. He's done a runner down to Jezreel. He's back. Oh, and God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I can imagine Elijah being completely lost for words, can't you? What? <laughs> what am I doing here? And I, Elijah tends to justify himself, and don't we all? He tends to try and justify himself. Well, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. The Israelites, they all rejected you, your own people. Tore down your altars, put your prophets to death. In fact, I'm the only one left, Lord. Uh, and they're trying to kill me as well. I can imagine Elijah adding, so I'm hiding here, Lord. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> you can see it, can't you? You certainly can understand it, at least I can. Verse 11, uh, the Lord said, go out of this cave and stand on the mountain because I am about to pass by. Bringing it up to date, here this morning, the Lord is going to pass by. In fact, he is already. Lord is here. He will pass by. Will you see him? It won't just be a physical thing. It'll be an inner thing. And he'll whisper in your heart. And he'll say something to you. And I know it will happen because I know who Jesus is. I'm not saying you're going to pick it up because I don't know who you are. But he'll be given, he'll be passing by this morning and he'll be saying something to you. Then a powerful wind passed, tore into the mountain, causing much destruction. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. All these elements would have been perfectly logistic, logistic, legitimate ways uh, for God to show himself to, to Elijah. I am a God of authority and power. He could show himself to Elijah in the earth windquake. Windquake? The, uh, can you read that? The earth, the, earth, the earthquake, wind or the fire. Uh, but he doesn't. He's using those elements to grab Elijah's attention. And then he spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. I think... The reading that Val gave us, I think it said, a gentle whisper. Amazing, isn't it? When he heard the voice of God, Elijah wrapped his cloak tightly around him uh, and pulled it over his face. I don't know what he's thinking he was doing, but I understand where he's coming from. He took a deep breath and stepped out of the cave. And I think he needed to take that that, that deep breath. What was he going to find outside? God has said he was going to pass by. Now he's told him to step outside of the cave. What was he going to find? An angry God? Because he had run away from Jezebel? Was he going to find an angry God? Because he was hiding after seeing all those mighty miracles. There he was, hiding from God. 
you can understand his concerns, can't you? We've got, we've got them. You know, sometimes the, the devil comes along and says, you're rubbish, you're no good, you've let God down. He's not very pleased with you. So we can have the same sort of concerns. If I go and seek God out in prayer or whatever, or try to get close to him again, what am I going to find? An angry God? A cross God? Uh, Elijah had already experienced the, terrors, the, terrors, the terrors of a hurricane, an earthquake, and a, and a fire. But when he stepped outside... He found a loving God. Take that to heart, because we're bringing all this up today for us today. If you need to go and speak to God, because you've got the perception of letting God down, and you probably have, and so have I, we won't find an angry God. We won't. We will find a loving God, a caring God, an understanding God. God doesn't want to keep us down. He died on the cross to lift us up. Do you think that will change? Not a bit of it. So uh, that's who we will find, a God who speaks quietly and gently to us and says, come along, get up, hold my hand, let's get on the way together again. Um, all right, there, there, there's issues and, and God will have to say, you are guilty. You do need my forgiveness. But when you ask for it, I will give it. Uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? God gives us the opportunity to examine ourselves. Let's do that this morning. I mean, it's great, that introduction that David gave us. He's putting us all in the same boat, really. Um, and uh, God gives us the, uh, the opportunity to examine ourselves. But uh, Elijah gave the same reply. Uh, the, the pressures that had brought him to that point. And he said, but, but you know, Lord, um, um, they, they've killed everyone else. And now they're looking for me. Uh, and, and, and so I've given up on you. <laughs> Do you know, it's amazing what we can say to God in honesty and what God will allow us to say to him in order that he uh, puts things right. Um, because what he was wanting, he already knew, didn't he? And what he wanted to do with Elijah is for Elijah to open up a channel of communication with him. That's what God wanted, to pour everything out. That's what God wanted. Uh, not to keep it all within himself, to keep him down on the ground, but to get it out and to have that quiet time with God. It's good for us to have a face-to-face -face with God and get everything out, all the things that are worrying us, all the things we think we've uh, upset God over, and we probably have, but we need to come to him and talk to him about it. We need to open up a channel of communication. If you do that, let me give you a little bit of advice. I'm not that much good at giving advice. But here's the benefit of, 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 of my advice. Get it all out. If you're going to have a face-to-face -face with God and say, Lord, you know, this, that and the other, don't leave anything unsaid. Get it all out. Uh, and, you know, there's a thing called Encounter that we have here in this church. It's on selected Sunday evenings. But with Encounter, you can just come and sit and do nothing but have a face-to-face -face with God. And you can get it all out. Please forgive me, is the standard cry, which, of course, God always will. But listen, hear this. If you don't get it all out... If you keep something back, well, that's a bit too much to say to God, you know, or I'm asking for trouble if I, if I admit to this. If you keep anything back and leave anything unsaid, 
you will leave the enemy an opportunity to use whatever it is you've kept to yourself. Well, you haven't, have you? Because God knows. But you will use you, you, he will use, the enemy will use anything you keep to yourself to bring you down again. He will accuse you. Oh, you might have told God ten things. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. But you might keep one thing to yourself. And the enemy will use that over and over again to bring you down. God doesn't allow our sins to negate his purposes. That's so, 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 so important. God will not allow your wrongnesses, uh, your sins, to prevent him from working out his purpose in your life. Once they are forgiven, big point at end of talk, once they are forgiven, um, they are finished. They are done with. They are over with. Over. Psalm 103, I've removed your sins as far from you as the east to the west, which never meets. The Lord will never, ever mention forgiven sins again. So I need to get it all out. The Lord will never, ever mention to you forgiven sins again. Why? Because they don't exist anymore. Um, For those who are suffering under the accusation and condemnation of the enemy, I know there are folks that aren't here today because they just feel they're not good enough for God. Uh, And they've been Christians uh, throughout their lives, but now they feel, no, I can't go, I can't go back. And they've given up on God um, because the enemy is successful in, in bringing them down. But what they need to know is that if they bring it to God and God forgives it, He will never, never, ever mention those sins again. They just do not exist. They're done with. So uh, you've heard that, I hope. And we're on the last page, folks. Look here in verse 15. God moves right on with the next part of his plan for Elijah. Didn't allow those sins to move Elijah out of the picture. Wasn't saying to Elijah, you're no longer good enough, but has brought him back. And he's saying, my plan for your life is still in existence. So if you think you've backed off from God for a bit, the plan he had for you in the beginning when you came to him and became a Christian, that plan is still current. You may have had a little holiday for a while. You may have had more than a day off. But God is saying, come on, get up. Let's talk about it. Let's get over it. Let's move on together. And Elijah is given by God, God the authority to anoint Haziel, king over the land of Aram. So he's saying, not only am I accepting you back, but I've got work for you to do. Go and anoint this man, king over uh, Aram. In verse 16, go and anoint Jehu, king over Israel. It's going to be the next king. Go and anoint him. I've got my plan for your, and purpose for your life. You've still got to be getting on with it. And anoint Elisha to succeed you as my prophet. Oh, and by the way, I love the way God flips in these little, by the way. By the way, there are over 7,000 prophets uh, in, Egypt, in Israel that Jezebel didn't get and who have never bowed their knee to bow. 7,000. So you know what, you know what, Elijah? You're not the only one left. Now, why do I say that? Why do I make a point of that? In school, in college, in work, in retirement, in the place where you live, we quite often think we're the only one left, don't we? 
we quite often think, well, I haven't seen another Christian um, in, this, in this area for, for yonks. You're not the only one left. Keep praying that the Lord will join you up with others. Right, okay, so the man that Elijah uh, was to anoint was Elisha, to carry on after him. Jehu became king of Israel, but not in Elijah's day. Jehu became king of Israel after uh, Elijah had died in Elisha's time. Uh, Jehu also was the one who saw to it that Jezebel was finally slain up there in Jezreel. Um, you can read about that in 2 Kings. Haziel became king of Assyria, but it was Elisha who anointed him, not Elijah. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he attacked Israel with a very cruel and brutal army, which was, in a way, uh, a sentence for the, uh, the worshipping the prophet of Baal that they did. Um, and we don't get away with it. No, um, when, when we go astray, God brings us back, but there are consequences. Don't blame God for them. Some of the things, you, I know someone that um, was quite a, 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 a deep drug addict, and they said to me once, is God punishing me? You know, I've come to Christ now, but I've still got, I'm afraid in life, um, what we do physically sometimes has uh, repercussions. Uh, don't blame God for them. That's simply because we went astray in the first place. But God has brought us back in spite of them. Look to him for your, uh, for your um, recovery. Uh, and I'm sure you'll see stuff happening there. Uh, but when we turn our back on God, we miss out on many, many blessings that we could have had if we'd stayed close to him. Don't let life's experience join, drown out that still small voice of God. You're hearing it this morning. Many of you are hearing it. Many of you out there that are watching in, you are hearing the voice of God this morning. Don't let life's experience, all the devil's uh, temptations, drown out that still small voice. It's there. Listen to it. Respond to it. Come back to a loving God who knows, who understands, and who cares. I think we've got contact details up here. Hey, look, what we've said is important stuff. And uh, if you want to contact us to speak about anything that you've been blessed with this morning, there's the contact details. Please, if you've been blessed through understanding sin, but please, if you've just had a great time, tell us about it. Encourage us. We don't stand up here, and the folk that come here don't stand up here for the sake of it. We come because we want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we come out of difficult circumstances. Sometimes when we're stood here, we've got all this stuff going on in the back in our lives. And it would be lovely if you get a blessing. Please encourage us. And there's the way that you can do it. Thank you. Mm -hmm.